Today is all about that sweet, sweet lore in Destiny 2. Velask, Guardians, I greet you in the light. Welcome back to Gamer Loop Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Verita. Once again, with Season of the Splicer in Destiny 2, we see that Bungie has outdone themselves with the storyline. Savathun's influence is on the rise in the last city. Former enemies become allies, dissent is sown among the people, and we are faced with the darkness and influences from evil's past present, and future. Let's dig into the lore uncovered so far this season and take some guesses on what might be happening in the future. The story so far, the Vex have sent the last city into an endless night, a simulation in which the sun doesn't shine, creating a permanent darkness. The season opens with our guardian traversing Europa to help Mithrax, Kel of Houselight, who has agreed to aid us in stopping the endless night, thanks to Ikora Ray. Yay! Finally! Story for Ikora! For those unfamiliar with the House of Light, this Elixni house worships the Traveler and its light, referring to it as the Great Machine. Mithrax is also a sacred splicer, able to traverse the Vex network safely, which is going to be critical to helping us stop the Vex and end this endless night. Ikora gives Mithrax and Houselight refuge in the Batsa district, a familiar location as you may recall this being the boss fight area for the Scourge of the Past raid. We see Elixni everywhere, the last city, the Batsa district, they even have a wing in the helm to help us with operations and incursions against the Vex network. We are also greeted by Lakshmi too, leader of the future war cult. She has used Vex technology to view the future, which is highly suspect, and sees Mithrax at the center of all of it in a huge conflict, plunging the city into destruction and despair. Our Guardian is not inclined to believe this, and Osiris tries to help break the tension and keep diplomacy. We also meet the daughter of Mithrax, Ido, who teaches us through several interaction points in the Batsa refuge area about Elixni culture and the House of Light. She talks about what the Elixni call the Whirlwind, the event in which the Traveler abandoned their kind and fled, and when their homeworld of Reese fell, and they were scattered across the system. We are then directed back to the Helm, where we receive our Splicer Gauntlet and begin our fight against the Vex. A few key events happen within the season to keep this story moving forward at a really nice pace. Saint-14 starts an altercation with Mithrax regarding supplies and how they are split between the city and the Elixni camp. Mithrax asks Saint if he were in Mithrax's position, would he expect Mithrax to do everything they could to help Saint and his people? Saint reluctantly says yes, but doesn't fully understand. Mithrax further elaborates by clarifying to Saint that his people would help, of course, because they would wish to live. Saint begins to understand and agrees to split the supplies. At the same time, Lakshmi too continues to sow dissent and uprising among the people of the last city, eventually inciting an attack on the Elixni camp in the Batsa district, which would have been worse had Crow not been there in the shadows to intervene. 
This creates an altercation again between Mithrax Saint and Lakshmi too. Mithrax and his people have done nothing but try and be compliant and help our guardian with splicer training, working with Ikora and us to end the Vex simulation creating the Endless Night. Lakshmi too continues to spew propaganda and rhetoric at Mithrax before leaving the camp. In the moment before Saint-14 leaves the camp as well, Mithrax looks to Saint-14, reiterating that they hear Lakshmi's broadcasts, and those sharp and pointed words are felt among the Elixni in the last city. Saint replies to Mithrax, stating, You cannot ask people to live alongside their monsters, which launches easily into the best cutscene Destiny has created in a long time, Mithrax telling the story of the Saint. This story depicts the moment in which the Traveler left Reese and the Elixni people, and all they got back was Saint-14, looking to destroy all of the fallen or Elixni houses, not caring who got in his way, not caring who he destroyed. Mithrax describes in detail the violence against his people and other Elixni, and how he and his people now have to literally live alongside their monster in Saint-14. Saint says nothing after this cutscene ends, we get something later on. But we are left a moment to reflect on those words, and how the Elixni are living in fear, trying to help us towards a common goal. Saint-14 later reflects and realizes that we do monstrous things to fight our own monsters. When fighting to defend the city, we did not think of our enemies, only survival and victory. When realizing the children tremble in fear at his name, and others mourn what was taken from them, he states, This is not the Saint-14, I know. He can never forgive what the old houses did to us, but these are not the old houses. Nothing is gained from more death, and Mithrax has risked a lot to help us and trust us. We have to try and see the Elixni as our allies, otherwise we will always be nothing but monsters. Over the course of the storyline, we play through small puzzle-like missions called the Expunge Activities. Several locations across the soul system provide different puzzle-like challenges and slowly but surely reveal the source of the Endless Night as Quoria, Blade Transform, the Dreaming Mind. Later, we witness also an exchange between Saint-14 and Osiris, in which Saint admits to Osiris that Lakshmi approached Saint as leader of the new vanguard, opting to potentially overthrow the current vanguard leader, Zavala. Osiris helps Saint dismiss this idea, as Saint is not a leader in that way, but does imagine a different version of the vanguard. Saint later says in the conversation, I told Lakshmi I would think about it, so she would go away. Saint clearly has no intention on trying to take this position away from Zavala, and yet still finds this behavior suspicious. Osiris also continues to act suspicious throughout the entire exchange, as we talk about later on in the podcast. After completing each corrupted version of the Expunge activity, we reach Expunge Delphi, the final battle between our guardian and Coria, the Dreaming Mind. We experience small pieces of each of the prior Expunge missions within this final battle, leading up to the boss fight versus Coria. After destroying her, everyone celebrates, except Osiris. He seems almost in disbelief that it was so easy to destroy her. After that mission is over, we have a small debrief with Ikora, and she confirms that we have purged Savathun from the Vex Domain by defeating Quoria, the Dreaming Mind. Osiris is also now focused on collecting all of the data we have on Savathun, 
Everything she does is for a reason, even if it is beyond our comprehension. But Ikora wants to understand what she had hoped to gain from this incursion. Ikora also considered reaching out to Lakshmi too, but because of the device she uses, she doesn't want to go that route, feeling that it is unsafe. Osiris also is going to reach out to Lakshmi too, because he understands the technology and also Lakshmi's perspective, but Ikora urges that we are running out of time. Throughout the storyline, we hear several messages from Lakshmi too, some addressed directly to our guardian and some addressed directly to the city, most of which are propaganda against the vanguard currently. Lakshmi feels we are making the wrong choice in choosing the Elixni as our allies against the Vex and Savathun. She has seen into the future, as I mentioned before, and feels as though Mithrax and Houselight are in the center of a huge citywide conflict that cannot be avoided based upon the features that she's seen. At one point during one of these broadcasts, Ikora 100% interrupts her and tells her to stop with the propaganda, reminding the people that we need to band together to defeat the Endless Night. We listen to one final message from Lakshmi too, praising us for defeating Quoria. She still believes that Ikora suffers from excessive pride. Lakshmi also then admits she suffers from the same affliction and tries to use this as an example of admitting when she is wrong, which we don't buy it at all. She's still angling to try and usurp the current Vanguard leadership based upon what she's seen using her Vex technology. However, we have defeated Quoria, and that is enough for now. Finally, we listen to a message from Mithrax, celebrating with caution that Quoria has been defeated, aligning the slow fade of the endless night in the city to the slow fade of Elixni hate among the people eventually trying to foster unity. We have been united in the light, and Mithrax is proud of us and our work to turn into a sacred splicer. Throughout the entirety of the story, we also find one common suspicious figure, and that is Osiris. Osiris through all of this continues to be elusive and very shady when it comes to the Endless Night and the Vex simulation. Each time we enter the expunge activity and discover new details regarding the plot against the last city, he tries more and more to plead with Mithrax, Ikora, and our guardian about trying to learn more and discover more rather than stop what is happening to us. If you recall last season, season of the Chosen, Osiris claimed the crown of sorrow we discovered on the Glycon and brought it back to the last city to study and observe it. Keitel tries to implore Osiris to destroy it, but he does not comply, and she finds his actions foolish and audacious. There are also several lore entries attached to weapons and armor from this season that further amplify Osiris' suspicious behavior. The empty vessel, Grenade Launcher. Osiris encounters Saladin, who is on his way to speak with Zavala. Saladin wants to encourage Zavala to include Saladin in the decision-making as it relates to the Vanguard, and discourage Zavala from listening to or indulging Lakshmi too. Osiris tries to insinuate that many suspect Saladin to be the one who ordered the assassination on Zavala. No one said that, by the way. Saladin ultimately does not go to discuss anything with Zavala, and Osiris also successfully deters him from interfering with Lakshmi too. Not to mention the fact that this entry is attached to a weapon called Empty Vessel. This may insinuate Osiris is the quote-unquote empty vessel in which Savathun can infiltrate the last city. Osiris's tone as the season progresses gets continually soft, gentle, almost measured and calculated. He hits a sickeningly sweet and velvet-like peak 
as he tries to coerce Mithrax to capture what we learn to be Coria Blade Transform. Not only does Osiris hack into a private conversation between Mithrax and our Guardian, claiming to want to have a private discussion, but also tries his best to convince Mithrax that there is so much we could learn by capturing Coria rather than eradicating her. Mithrax pushes back on this, stating that it would be safest to destroy her. Osiris then states he will consult with Ikora on the best course of action. Spoiler alert, we destroy her, we don't try to capture her. Subsequently, during the expunge activities, each activity is started with some dialogue from Osiris waxing poetic regarding the Vex network and commenting more than once how he underestimated our abilities. And then finally, upon defeating Coria, Osiris feels almost disappointed that we bested this enemy, as if he didn't expect us to succeed. Additionally, over the course of the season, there are two lore books that we start to receive entries for as we complete activities. The one most closely related to Osiris is Beneath the Endless Night. There is a lore entry within that book that I'll read now for you, titled Ripe. I walk through the city on broken legs. I am conspicuous, but the people here grant me many affordances. I chose this form well. I sway and catch myself on a low stone wall. I am ready earlier than anticipated, but I must still learn the next step. I look up toward the false dusk I have hung, but it is not yet finished. I am afraid, but it is thrilling to engage in something new after all this time, something unknown. I close my eyes tightly so they do not bulge. The feeling passes. I open my eyes and search the faces of the people around me for familiarity. I did not mean to. I twist inwardly with disgust. When they first reached me, I reached back in acid mockery, and they opened themselves to me in stupid naked innocence. I was giddy. My fingers raked their minds. I forced my will through them using only words and met no resistance. Their naivete was beyond description, and I feasted until my eyes welled with black tears. Now I reach as often as they do, and when they reach back, I am thankful. I speak with them. I seek their company, their companionship. This is not pity, for I know pity. What is this? I drop to both knees, clear my mouth, and vomit. The thin black fluid turns to vapor and disappears. I clench the gangling black mass that threatens to unspool recklessly from within this shell of flesh. My new arms are too thin, too weak, my new shell still bound with thick mucus. Not yet, I say. A moment of blackness, and then a man places his hand on me, on my shoulders, on my back. He asks if I am ill, and he sees my flat eyes, my teeth black with ripeness, and he prepares to scream. I let him keep his mind. I push breath up and through my ruined mouth and speak a simple lie. He stops, smiles, laughs, shakes his head. He points a finger at me in mocking admonishment before walking away. I swallow the fatty morsel of his ignorance and it gives me the strength to stand once more, cover my face, and resume my walk. I feel this form splitting beneath its wrappings held together weakly by wet strands of sinew, and from deep inside, stirred by that latest scrap of deception, I hear the oily growl of the worm. Even here basted in deception, both ample and rich, the worm cries ravenously, 
It has grown grotesque, skin-taut, overfed, and it still howls for more. It commands me to keep it alive. I look up, beyond the flickering net of darkness, and see what rests just beyond, waiting for me. The worm roars. This entry alludes to a few different things. We've seen an entry in past lore that elaborates on the fact that Savathun is in the city and watching us, watching our guardians, watching the vanguard, watching everybody from a specific perch. A few seasons ago, we thought this might have been Zavala that she was watching, but now she has infiltrated the city in the body of another person. Everything that we've seen in the story so far from this season really points to the fact that this may very well be a version of Osiris or Osiris himself that has been infiltrated by Savathun in the darkness. We don't know this for sure. A lot of this is speculation, but this lore entry validates the fact and confirms the fact that she's in the city. She's watching us from some corporeal form masquerading as maybe a guardian, a vanguard. We don't know, but this entry really, like I said, points very suspiciously towards Osiris, given everything else that happens in the season. Within the lore page that we just read, there is a reference to the worm. This worm is in reference to what fuels the hive gods, the creature that lived in the furthest depths of the fundament. On the Fundament, Savathun, one of three exiled daughters of the Osmium King, heard instructions from a dead worm. Following these instructions, the sisters traveled into the depths of the world where they met the Leviathan, who warned them against traveling deeper. They ignored his warnings to meet five creatures that called themselves worm gods, Yule, Er, Zol, Ur, and Akka. Yule described himself as being dragon-like, saying, I am Yule, the honest worm. Behold my passage. Behold my vast displacement, my ponderous strength, my great and coiling length, my jaws folded and curled wings. Behold the hiving city symbiotic with my flesh. I am fecund Arash. I am at the beginning and end of lives. Behold Ayr and Zol and Ur and Akka, the virtuous worms look upon us and know that we are God. The five creatures said that they had been trapped in the depths of the planet for millions of years, and that in the time they had summoned many species to the fundament. The worm gods were aligned with a force that they called the deep and opposed to the nature of the sky, including the Leviathan and the Traveler, who they said were agents of the sky. According to the Leviathan, the deep claim was that existence is the struggle to exist. It seems that while the forces of the sky promoted cooperation, the forces of the deep promoted competition. Yule proposed a bargain to the three sisters. If the sisters would take the worm god's larva into their bodies, then the sisters would gain incredible power, enough to retake their kingdom. In return, the sisters would have to promise never to abandon satisfying their curiosity, testing their strength, or using their cunning. The sisters accepted the bargain, leading to the birth of Oryx, Savathun, and Zivu Arath. Led by Oryx, the sisters spread larvae into the rest of their species, creating the hive. Races aligned with the sky tried to prevent the hive from leaving the fundament, but they were annihilated. 
When the hive met resistance against the united forces of the Ecumen, Oryx realized that the way of the deep was to take what was needed, but the worm gods had given their larvae freely. In order to gain mastery over the deep, Oryx would need to take that power for himself. Oryx killed his sisters to gain strength, although they were not killed permanently, and found Akka, the Worm of Secrets. Oryx slew Akka, and in the process learned how to take life and bend it to his will. He renamed himself Oryx, the Taking King. The other worm gods were pleased with Oryx's actions. Additionally, Toland the Shattered, Prior to the events of the first Crota fire team, Toland the Shattered said that he had heard four words repeatedly screamed across the soundless plains, Ire, Ur, Zol, and Yul, the names of those worms. Toland believed that these sounds plus a fifth sound that he could not discern, probably Akka, held an important secret related to the hive, and that they might refer to beings that once lived or still live somewhere buried amongst us. Beings the hive perhaps owe their very existence to. This is a little bit more background into the story for those of you who are not super deep into the lore. When there are references to the worms, that entry pulled up from Ishtar Collective is really the best frame of reference, and I would highly recommend digging through that more if you'd like to hear more about that lore entry. One more thing I would recommend for you lore-hungry guardians out there, don't just reference the lore books that we get the entries to each week. Take a look at the lore entries attached to weapons and armor as well. You never know what you're going to find. Here is an entry from the Boots of the Assembler, the new exotic for warlocks. The manifestations of pseudophotons and impossible math. Ikora Ray's blood was up. She had just left a debriefing on the previous night's sabotage of the Elixni camp. With each detail, her blood pounded more forcefully in her ears, and the light tingled in her fingertips. Now striding across the elevated catwalk, her temper nearly lifted her off the ground in righteous fury. Suddenly, a deep, familiar voice broke through the tumult. Anger bends the mind, as gravity bends space-time. It's a form of distortion. Useful, but dangerous. Ikora turned, half expecting to find Osiris standing behind her, but she was still alone. Like gravity, once anger reaches a critical mass, it collapses in on itself, and not even light can escape. Ikora smiled to herself. Even in absentia, her mentor always knew just what to say. Ikora ducked into an alcove and sat with her back against the cool stone of the tower. She closed her eyes and listened to her breath, concentrated on slowing her heart rate, felt her muscles loosen. Once her body was stilled, she completed one of the many meditations Osiris had taught her when she was first beginning her training. She felt the light moving through her body, first as a raging fire, then as a rushing river, and finally as a cool breeze. By the time she opened her eyes, her mind was clear and sharp. She was prepared to face her opponent. Specifically, she's referencing Lakshmi too here. Saint-14 was doing munitions inventory when Osiris swept into the room. Saint put down his data pad next to a crate of grenades and stood up. Osiris scanned the shelves of guns and ammo, looking for something. Saint stood dumbly, waiting for some kind of acknowledgement. When it was clear that none was forthcoming, he called out, Osiris, what are you looking for? His voice was loud and strained. Osiris didn't turn from the shelves. The light suppressor that the scions used on Zavala's ghost. I need it for my research. Zavala kept it, I think. Ask him about it, Saint replied, trying not to sound put out. Osiris faced his partner, his eyes narrowed in thought. 
Very well. Then as an afterthought, thank you. As the former warlock turned to leave, Saint called out, I was hoping we could spend some time together soon, just the two of us. Doing what? Osiris inquired with a small smile. We could fly out to the Alps, Saint suggested. Or walk around the ruins of Prague, like we used to? That seems fine, Osiris said. He shrugged a shoulder. Provided the city doesn't burn to the ground in our absence. Then after their beat, is that all? Is that all? Behind his helmet, Saint frowned. I suppose. Osiris strode from the room, leaving Saint alone with a sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach. Lakshmi, too, watched Osiris from across the bustling courtyard. Of all of the political creatures in the tower, he was the one that troubled her the most. Her concern was not a matter of ex-warlock's unpredictability. In fact, it was just the opposite. The device had no trouble parsing his arrogant brilliance. His every move was well within the standard deviation. Yet, for someone with a legendary reputation as, ex as an eccentric, his every move as of late had been shockingly moderate. It was his newfound predictability that bothered her. Perhaps the loss of his ghost had affected him more than anyone understood. Maybe the burden of mortality had sapped his courage. It was also possible that Osiris represented a blind spot in the Vex dataset, something that only a human could comprehend. Or perhaps instead, something obvious to the Vex overlooked by her human mind. Whatever the case, Osiris bore watching the old-fashioned way, at least until his usefulness played out. A couple things being alluded to here, number one being Lakshmi tries to see what's going to happen, and at one point predicts Osiris's replies to her word for word in a separate entry, but also recognizes that there's something not right about him, which further fuels the potential fire that is the fact that he is not really him, but Savathun, and maybe he's either captured or dead. Well, Guardians, as of this podcast, we have reached a story hiatus with Season of the Splicer. Solstice of Heroes started on July 6th, and as a result, the storyline has yet to reach completion now that we have defeated Quoria. However, and this is a big spoiler alert, due to a bug that launched with Solstice of Heroes, many Guardians had to reclaim triumphs from last season and the current season. This bug caused the final lore page in Beneath the Endless Night to be revealed prior to what feels like a pretty important event taking place in the game itself. I won't go into detail of that final lore page. For me personally, I think it's important that every Guardian experience the wonderful story of this season how they want to, whether it be listening to this podcast, playing through the story, watching videos, or anything in between. We'll just have to wait and see, as an event titled Epilogue is scheduled for the end of this season, which will presumably wrap up the incredible storytelling that Bungie has done within Season of the Splicer. And on August 24th, we will be getting a glimpse into what is next for the story of Destiny 2, with only the tagline, Survive the Truth. Well, Guardians, thank you all for taking the time to listen to this Season of the Splicer lore episode. Again, I'm your host, Verita Amore, and you can find me under Verita Amore87 on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. If you liked today's podcast episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcasting platform. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to email us, ask us questions, tell us what you liked or what can be improved, or provide any suggestions on topics or game reviews. Just give us a shout. You can find additional episodes of Gamer Loop Radio on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Roger, zero, J, 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 J.